Hello, Dota Alchemists. I'm Jeoni here bringing you the next installment of Alchemy Answers, and in fact, the first one to air in the new year. I'm here with your host, Donnie. Say hi. Hello. And Jenkins. Hello. Take it away, you two. Thank you for that wonderful intro. This is what, the, the 16th? This is episode 16, Alchemy Answers. in fact. Damn, dog, we're getting old. Are we? Is it our six-month anniversary yet? It's soon, right? Uh, yeah, I don't know. We started in, what, July? Something like that? I'll have to look Whatever. back. Anyway. Just Google, when did Pugna shut down? <laughs> there, there's your answer. <laughs> don't Google Pugna. F, F in chat for Pugna. But having a lot of success with mid-sniper lately, maxing headshot in lane and dominating, going male-strong, after bands and phase, any idea if it has legs? I think mid sniper is pretty good. Uh, in particular, there is a lot of uh, out outworld devourer picks right now, and a lot of Medusa picks. These are two of like the hottest mid laners in uh, Immortal Bracket, and Sniper does extremely well against both of those heroes. He does really well against Medusa because you can't stone gaze him. He just peeps you from really really far away, and he's one of the few heroes that can actually do damage through Medusa's um shield so you're you're basically gonna be fine in there and then uh what was the other hero that i said od medusa and od and then od this hero has like very very um close up like attack range and then his spells are very close up range too if the od ever gets on top of the sniper he's dead but that goes for like every single hero so i i think i think it's i think it's like really really good because od is one of these heroes that will just destroy most heroes in lane but sniper he just doesn't have the range to get in to get in range of the the sniper and sniper will just like beat the shit out of him i'm not a i'm not personally a huge fan of face boots on ranged heroes just because like and on sniper because like i really feel like if if the enemy team is going to get on top of you like the face boots aren't going to help you get away uh and the treads they give you like what is it 14 damage and like 14 stats or is it 12 stats i think you got nerfed recently but in any case like you basically get like 30 extra damage from from the treads uh and then you you get the, you know the int uh, you get the 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 strength if you want to be like a little tanky or something like that but mostly most importantly like i really like the fact that the treads gives you the damage and then it's also the fact that phase boots does like half of the movement speed on ranged heroes like it really sucks on ranged heroes and then the armor i don't think really benefits you that much just because, like, if you, if somebody gets on top of you, a sniper, you're probably fucked anyway. So I'm 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 personally not a huge fan of face boots on ranged heroes. I would say that if you want to go for a uh, a boot that's like that on sniper, try tranquil boots. Uh, a lot of people are building tranquil boots on like Outworld Devour, on sniper, on any of these like ranged right click mid heroes because right clicking no longer breaks the tranquil boots on creep. So you can just I use can them to that. get around the map. Yeah. Yes. Also, if you look at the actual math, the phase boots only gives you eight more attack speed, so that's like very negligible. Uh, if you're in agi treads, obviously, versus phase boots. Um, that's true. So that's a good point. it's actually if you're getting it for the attack speed, it's not necessarily that valuable. Um, if you're getting it for the kind of like being able to jet just out of range with the phase, I can totally understand that. Like. Uh, phase plus mask of madness on sniper used to be really dope because you could just like outrun people and then turn around and hit them until they got close to you and then outrun them again. 
Um, well, it was it was also nice just because the phase gave like raw damage, so you'd right. be more yeah, you'd yeah. be more effective in the early game. But now treads is more effective in the early game. And yeah, treads gives game. you the raw damage actually. So yeah, um, there is that to consider as well. Uh, and then also, I don't know how I feel about maxing headshot. I still think that shrapnel is just the best spell that sniper has. Period. I but. really like the two two one one build just because. The take aim to hit over the hill to hit over the river, uh, one point to the take aim to hit over the river, and then headshot. Uh, like if you look at the scaling on both headshot and shrapnel, they do dog shit damage at level one, but then they increase by more than the first level gave. So like the level two point in both of those abilities is incredibly value in my opinion, and I, I think at that point you can either decide to go right click with the headshot build or go shrapnel build depending on what's good and i do think shrapnel is a really good spell as well yeah i don't think you should ever just skip shrapnel is what i'm trying to say it's way too good of a spell and really just helps sniper do everything that sniper wants to do i think yeah it's uh, good for farming too like you yeah. can actually get more experience to get higher levels in the headshot by just going at least two levels in the shrapnel Yep. Because think of it this way the first level in shrapnel does 150 damage the second level does 350 that's like Depending on the camp you get, if you get satyrs, that's like the entire satyr camp, just with the shrapnel alone, almost. Your face so it's, is it's... frozen, by the way. I don't know. Oh. I don't know, if you're, I don't know if you're lagging or what, but you just look uh, really, really stupid right now. <laughs> it's pretty okay. amazing. Well, what's, what's going on right now? Am I, do, I, do I look fine now? No, you're just not moving. You're stuck in a really dumb face. All right, well, that's I, I do dumb faces all the time. I mean, so it's that's... just pretty standard. That's only natural. All right, let me let me re leave the call and come back. Yeah. How's that? It's not frozen for now, so that's good. Okay, great, great, good, sweet. So, <laughs> uh, Frank goes into Necrobook. Hello, William. Great to great to see you here, man. Yeah. Meme incoming. Oh God, please no. Uh, okay, so people <laughs> complain that please do it. Team, excuse me, sir. I was I was talking, sir. Uh, so loads of people complain that their teammates make dumb decisions, but you can't change how your teammates act. So what are common mistakes and ways to play around them? I would say, that in, at least uh, from my experience, the most common thing that people lose a shitload of games to is your teammates will go into a fight for some really bad impulsive reason, like they just want to. It's like a fight is going poorly, so it's like, oh, I need to show up to this fight or else my team will flame me, but the fight looks really, really bad, and there's just no way you can win. Like, let's say you go into a fight and your Slark dies first. That's your carry. You're probably not going to win that fight. And then you're like, let's say your offlaner goes in and uses reverse polarity when the Slark, let's say if it's like a Magnus, and then the Slark is dead, so you have no damage. It's like, that is a terrible, terrible fight, right? But yeah, Nobody should have... ever go to that fight after that point. Right. You, you have this impulse, though, that it's like you don't want all of that to be in vain. You don't want the Slark dying and the reverse polarity being used uh, to occur without getting something out of it. So you go in in that scenario for those reasons as opposed to the reasons that it's at, the reason that it's actually a good fight. Um, and so I, I would say probably the, the that, that's like the most game losing thing. And yeah, I would definitely refer to that as like one one by one feeding sort of thing where it's like, oh, I need to go to this fight because I don't want these repercussions to have no consequences for the enemy team. And uh, basically you will just like lose the game because a fight could have just been some idiot going in and then another idiot going in is now everybody is dead. And even if you're one hero and you survive the fight, even if you're like a lich 
if you just keep surviving fights because you're not going into bad fights, you will eventually end up being the highest level on your team. You'll eventually end up being an actual problem for the enemy team. Maybe not after the first fight that you didn't go into, but by the second or third fight, you'll actually have a huge impact just in the fact that you survived and did something else in that downtime where your team is just feeding. So it's like... If you go in, it kind of feels like, oh, well, we lost that fight anyway. But that's just just because you're not seeing the the fact that in two to three in two to three team fights where your team is feeding, you could be this like tremendous hero that's just super hard to deal with, and that is especially true if you're a core. Yeah, and to add to that, I would say that it's really good. I mean, you you need to know like what your team fighting conditions are to make this call. Like Jenkins was saying, okay, if your carry dies, basically, like if your damage dies, don't go to the fight. If your control dies, don't go to the fight. <laughs> like basically, unless you're, you know, it's 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 already a fight that you're in. You really should just be able to make that call. Okay, this fight's over now because this hero's dead. We have to have this fight to win, or we have to have this hero to win the fight. Um, and what you should do then is a lot. I mean, right. So if you're not showing up to fights, but you're just farming the jungle or something like that, that's terrible. But if you're not going to go to a fight, you judge a fight as being bad then you should immediately go to basically the most inconvenient place for the other team to deal with you yeah immediately so generally that's like the exact opposite side of the map because right. let's cut, say cut a creep wave get the bounties on the opposite side of the map yeah if, if they're in particular like if they're fighting your bounties but they're distracted you can get those bounties and tp and get the other bounties like if you lose a fight and you get all four bounties because the enemy team wasn't paying attention you just won the game like that's actually super game winning yeah um, and yeah, one of the most, I would say, like, if you're a support, for example, and your cores, like, your, the fight starts and you're not there yet because maybe you're rewarding or, or you're, you know, running to where your cores are, but they go too early and they get killed, um, you now know where most of the enemy team is, which means that's a really good opportunity to go place wards deep on their side of the map somewhere else. Um, like Jenkins said, cut a creep wave. Basically... Try and create a problem for them somewhere else that is hard for them to deal with because they've committed a lot of resources somewhere else already. Um, that's like the number one thing that you can do for that particular problem. I would say the next most important problem that you can deal with uh, or mistake that a team a team might might make is probably just like not dealing with the waves. I think I think a lot of people will maybe even like you win a fight let's say you've you've won a fight by killing three of their heroes and your team will just start chasing they the, just other, go the like other two heroes chase or go jungle or something and the wave is like right next to you and they're chasing like into enemy territory but the wave is next to you so they're running beyond the wave and there's no way for that wave to get to the tower that you need to hit now and i'm speaking from experience because this literally just happened in a game that i played right before um where people were running into enemy shrine to chase the remaining two heroes there's a creep wave sitting like halfway down the bottom lane and we need to push it towards the tower so instead of chasing i'm going to push that wave and if that results in one of my teammates dying because they're diving the enemy shrine uh that's fine because they made a mistake and i'm not going to compound that mistake by doing something even more dumb which is not pressuring the wave. Because if you think about it, if I don't push that wave and my team goes and somehow they end up feeding these two heroes that are running away, my four teammates run and end up feeding these two heroes that are chasing and being chased under the other shrine. And, and, I, happens, don't, yeah, and I don't push this wave. 
then the other team is going to respawn and they're going to have a creep wave already hitting our tower, basically. So even if the worst possible scenario happens and we lose four heroes because of this stupid chase, if I have pushed the wave into their tower and potentially taken that tier one tower or tier two tower and the wave is all the way at their side of the base, at the very least, they're not going to be able to get anything out of it. So it's kind of like it's kind of like idiot proofing your team by simply just managing the creep waves and where they are and what direction they're going. It's definitely it's definitely really important. I I, I would also agree that that's even in like immortal bracket that's one of the bigger things. Pe people just get distracted. You yeah. get really you get really like uh, obsessed with kills. Um, and Joni actually had a question regarding that, but we got William William Paton. Can I call you Willie? He said Willie says I love Magnus, but a low MMR. My team doesn't play around each other. Rarely do my teams move together. I'm very vocal and nice, and I try to set up my team for success, but it just doesn't seem to work. Um, I'm not 100 percent sure what, what what's your MMR. I, I guess that that's a question just to know. Excuse me, exactly what bracket you're in. But I would say that if you have people that aren't working together uh like five people that aren't working together then that's pretty rare especially if like in the draft you were picking a magnus and you have some melee carry hero like troll or slark or anti-mage like if, if they don't want empower and they're not working with you that's that's very strange because like why would they it's it's, a, it's it only benefits them like they're 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 getting this like free game with the magnus and power and usually even a carriage are like very selfish people they, they're they're totally into that because <laughs> it makes the whole game about them it's all about this big one big beefy guy so i'd say that like if you're magnus really that guy is the only person that matters is just keeping them empowered playing near them in fact i've even seen games one where you have some like troll farming and uh three heroes on the totally opposite side of the map just doing idiotic things not working together but you have a mag plus troll and the troll is pushing a lane with the empower enemy team goes on him two or three man rp happens and then you have the troll magnus like essentially functioning as this two-man ganking combo and, and and that works like that 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 that's not the the five man sort of rp team fight scenario that you would wish for like that your team would all play together on a magnus but it's still very effective and a good way to play the game and if you don't have something like if, if your troll or whatever is ignoring you or you don't have one of those heroes and they're not playing with you it's actually fine to build magnus as like a uh as like a regular offlane hero you can build into like mechanism greaves dominator get the blink of course for like ganking pickoffs and for team fights like if the enemy team is pushing your base of course your team is going to work together you play as a counter initiator you don't need to have your team working with you because well they your team of course is going to defend their own base so like even in that scenario a team full of selfish idiots is going to they, they don't want to lose the game because they're selfish you know by by definition so I, I i would say that like yeah you can you can build and play on your own with magnus and it's still very very strong it's worse i would say it's better if you have somebody who's actually working with you but um if, if your team is just being like idiots that's fine like you can still build this hero as like a regular offlaner get all the aura items get get uh you know dominator vlad's crimson guard all these items and just be a nuisance in a lane that's perfectly fine to do that just play on your own and then when it comes to defending high ground you still have this crazy like wombo combo team fight hero so I'm going to kind of disagree with you just because I think that you're still approaching this from a perspective of as an immortal player, which I don't think, I just don't think you have the perspective of what he's talking about as somebody who's played at, you know, 1K and 2K what and stuff like that. I, I got to know what bracket. That, the bracket thing is really important, but I think... Really, come on. Where are you at? I think that ultimately you can overcome your teammate's selfishness by simply just 
putting yourself near them and following what they're doing. And that's kind of what Jenkins was saying. Like, okay, so let's imagine in that scenario, you have a Magnus and a troll. Um, and the troll is just, he's just pushing his lane. He's just, you know, farming the jungle. Then he pushes the lane up. All you really have to do in that scenario is just be around him. Like, like you said, the other three heroes can just be doing dumb stuff. They can just be feeding in the other side of the map. And your troll will just be, would be doing the same thing. He would just be alone feeding if you weren't near him. But because you're near him, you actually, like, you force him to play as a team, essentially, with you at the very least, just because you're near him. Yeah. That's and, true. like, if you think about the, the general pub environment, um, especially at the, you know, kind of like the middle to lower MMR, it's just five people running around doing random shit. And so if you can put one duo running around doing random shit, it's always going to be stronger than five random people running around doing random shit. Yeah. And, and yeah. so it's basically you, you are the only person that actually matters as far as creating teamwork between two people, because all you have to do is just pay attention to what your troll is doing. Is he pushing up too far? Okay. I'm going to make sure that I'm ready to jump in an RP. Is he just farming the jungle? Okay. Well, I'm going to, you know, empower him and let him just do his thing. And if the wave comes up and he's ignoring the wave, then you just get some farm that way with shockwave and your own empower. And then you just kind of keep the momentum going. And then, you know, if you want to take it one step further, you can even let your troll go farm a jungle camp. Then you go ward the shrine or something like that. If you're pushing up in a lane, I don't know, dude, that's a little next level. Yeah, whatever, man. Warding. <laughs> this is, this is how you win games uh, at, the MMRs where people don't work with you is you literally just you find one person who is probably your win condition and then you just that works that works in every bracket. Yeah, then you just follow them. You literally just follow them. You completely throw your ego away. You don't have a normal game yourself and you just babysit this one person. And like most of the time it actually works. Yeah. It's true. It is that that's dude, it's the YOLO solo players, man. There's always a YSP, you know? Uh anyway, so we got Joni said, uh, roughly how many last hits is a kill worth? I absolutely love this question. Uh, I think a lot of people go looking for kills, but I also think there are times when enough creeps outweigh a kill. Most of the time. <laughs> I, I would say my, my biggest point to make here is I would say the, the biggest misconception about creeps and about kills is that it has anything to do with gold. Gold does not fucking matter. It doesn't matter that one kill can be worth five creeps of gold. Absolutely doesn't matter. The gold is irrelevant. What is relevant is the fact that you are putting a certain hero off of the map for a certain amount of time versus the, the power of pushing whatever creep wave it is that you're farming out. So like, let's say there's a creep wave right in front of the enemy base useless to kill that compared to a creep wave right in front of your tower um well i shouldn't say useless because still you'll put the momentum in there into their base but in any case like you, you can see what i'm saying like if there's a creep wave that's already pushing farming that doesn't matter that much because it's already pushing you've already done your job in that lane that lane already has to be dealt with by the enemy team which allows you to make a, a better strategic move on the map killing a magnus is much more important than killing a i don't know crystal maiden 
because a Magnus, if, if a Magnus dies, maybe he's a higher level, and that way, in a 60 seconds or whatever many seconds he's dead, you can set up to take Roshan, you can set up to take a tower, and then once you're around that tower, the enemy team cannot defend it. It's all about what gives you the better strategic position on the map. So, essentially, like, if you're gonna, like, with Donnie's example, where you're chasing people into a shrine, if you're chasing, like, a Lich plus a CM, if they don't have buyback, and they're really important for the fights, it's really important to kill them, and to chase them into that shrine, and maybe you should ignore the creep wave to chase them. It depends on the situation. It's a hard judgment call to make. I'm not saying one way or the other would be right, but I'm saying there is an argument for chasing a Lich and a Crystal Maiden into a shrine, even if it's dangerous, oh, if you have no buyback. What? Sorry, your mic is just, it's, like, kind of lagging out a little bit, and it sounds a little bit robot-y, but you're okay. Yours, your sounds robot too. It's weird. We might just have some fucked up connection issues. Maybe, maybe. But in any case, essentially what I'm saying is like, it's just a matter of weighing uh, the, the, the... You should really think about like strategy and like what, what you want to accomplish in the game and, and just like what's important in terms of fighting and in terms of pushing high ground and in terms of taking towers as opposed to, to the gold. At, at least in my opinion. Like if, if you commit everything to kill an anti-mage without buyback, it's like, yeah, you'll get, I don't know, 500 gold for it or something, which is only like two creep waves or some shit. But you're going to win the game. So it's like the gold The gold really doesn't uh, doesn't matter, in my opinion. In, in the early game, even like kills can be more advantageous than creeps, depending on like if you're killing a hero that is supporting an anti-mage who really needs to support in the lane, you get a level advantage because the anti-mage is getting zoned and then you just destroy the lane. That's important. But if you just can't do that, and there's no real, there's no point in killing the heroes. Like that's not going to happen. Then you should just farm and not sacrifice farm to do that because the gold is more valuable. You know, it's just it, it really it really does uh, depend. Is my mic still cutting out? Uh, yeah, it's kind of going in and out. I don't really know what the deal is. Like, do you wanna just do you wanna just restart the call? Uh, I, I don't think it's really gonna help, but we can. It's been doing this for like the last few times that we've done calls. So huh, that's weird. I don't know what to say. Um, but anyway, I think I just wanted to add a couple of thoughts to that. Like, one thing I've really... Because I've been thinking about this a lot recently, whether gold matters at all in Dota to some extent. I, I mean, it does, obviously, because items are important. But I've been kind of trying to theorycraft if there's a way to play a game and literally just have zero gold and still win just by simply out out uh, strategizing people by creating map pressure through pushing creep waves and vision through pushing creep waves and then removing the correct piece at the right time from the other team's team fight because that's really what you're saying is like it's not about gold kills and creeps gold doesn't really matter you get you just get gold eventually throughout the course of a game what really matters is you're creating map pressure and vision through pushing creeps and you're creating advantageous team fight or objective taking scenarios by basically taking power pieces off the field for a certain amount of time by killing them. Yeah. Kind of like in chess, right? If you kill the other person's queen or you kill their, you know, their knight or the bishop, basically suddenly they don't have one of their tools available to them. And it could be yep. a very important tool. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I wonder if there's a way where you could literally just like, you could push the waves, but then just like not use your gold or something. I, I bet it's possible to win games. Actually, in pubs. Uh, uh a, a really a really good argument for this, by the way, is the fact that if you look at a lot of the pro games that have happened since 7.20, there will be games that are dead even in terms of gold, but one team will just like feel like they're doing better. It'll feel like they're stomping, and then eventually they will stomp and they will win, and it, it's like, how does this make sense, though? How does this... 
how in God's name does this make sense? It is even in terms of gold, but it still feels like one team is stomping. It's even in terms of gold for like 10 minutes, but then five minutes passes, a team fight happens, and it's like a 10k gold lead because the fight goes so well. And it's because the 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 towers that you get uh, in, in in the game of Dota, like they will give you eventual gold lead. Like if you have three or four towers because of one fight, uh, one fights because of good like strategic moves that you've made on the map, even if the gold is totally even, which a lot of the time it will be even when you take towers because you make a sacrifice to group up and take a tower. Enemy heroes will be farming. You won't be farming. So they will still be even in gold, but map-wise, it's way harder for them to play with like three to four towers gone. It's way easier for you to fight. You win one fight, boom, 10k gold lead. So it's like you can have a totally even game, but the game in terms of gold, but the game is actually not even at all because of map control, because of heroes, and then eventually a fight just happens, and then boom, there's the gold lead. And it's because it's kind of this like unrealized potential gold lead that will be there in some statistical distribution. It's like there's there's a very high likelihood that a certain team with a certain amount of towers will get that gold eventually even though they don't have it i've seen this time and time again casting these games that are like even in terms of gold but one team is just destroying the other and then boom eventually 10k gold lead and it's like where the fuck did that come from <laughs> yeah it's actually a really good point because if you think about it if you have you know the tier twos down you're taking a fight near their tier three you can't do that if you haven't pushed the creep waves in and taken the tower and it gives you the potential to immediately take racks afterwards which the other team doesn't have if they haven't pushed your tier two your toots down so essentially you're setting yourself up for the ability to win the game with one fight where the other team is not able to do that anyway let's move on um we've got yeah we got time for like another 10 like five questions or so john like callahan uh w willie willie by the way said he's 2.5k mmr to, to answer that question that we were we were talking about earlier which is about about the the average i would say from people that i've coached and talked talked with from yep. our youtube 2.5k yep. like 3.5k so, yeah, there's actually one question above that, that i'm going to answer from jorge there? Oh, okay. yeah jorge. oh there he is uh came back to delta at the beginning of 2018 from a five-year hiatus and calibrated at 200 mmr 2000 games later i'm sitting at 1.9k mmr someone recommended to get a new count and recalibrate is that a good idea no no, I don't think uh, so. I I I don't have much experience with like smurfs and recalibration and stuff, so I'm not I'm the, not a great resource on this. The reason I would say no is you've climbed 1700 MMR in a year. That's a lot more MMR than most people climb over their entire Dota career. So clearly you're doing a lot of stuff right, and I know it's really annoying that your teammates are still bad, but guess what? You're at 1.9k MMR, and so you're going to get bad teammates on occasion. I also get bad teammates on occasion, and it's just a matter of figuring out how to win the game. So so do I. It's it like I was just here, here, those. here's the thing is like I think that people have put M MMR in this weird pedestal where it's like okay, if you have this level of MMR, you're going to have good games, and that's just completely wrong. You're not going to ever be guaranteed to have good Dota games unless you are literally playing on a professional team in a tournament. That's the only time you're going to have real Dota. If you're playing in a pub in solo queue, you are going to have a pub solo queue experience, and there's nothing that you can ever do, no matter what your MMR is, to not have that experience. So I would... You know, like to all the people that want to climb MMR, I get it. You want to be a certain level so you can say that you're this level or whatever. You know, 
fuels your ego. It feels like you're actually are maybe getting something out of your time investment or whatever. But I know a lot of people also have the motivation of saying, well, I'm going to have teammates that actually play together if I get to this MMR milestone. You're not. It's that simple. So literally just enjoy your time. Like you're clearly climbing at a pretty good rate. 1,700 MMR over 2,000 games. That's really damn good. I've I've, I've gained, let's see, I think I calibrated like 2014, whenever like Dota 2 first came out. I don't remember. I've probably gained like about 1,700 to 2,000 MMR in that entire span. No, it's just like, and here's the thing. If you buy, if you get a new account and you recalibrate, very good chance you're going to end up at exactly 1,700 MMR, 1,900 MMR. That usually happens. Maybe you'll get like 2,000 or 2,300, and then you'll just slip back to about 1,900 MMR. You'd be surprised how accurate the MMR system is. Everybody doesn't want to believe it, but the MMR system is incredibly accurate at placing people i would say what your what your focus should be as a player is just being as high skill as possible and eventually you'll just be at the mmr that you deserve to be at if 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 you're focusing on that and uh focusing on the mmr can be a very bad downward downward spiral at least uh in my experience uh and and, and really just uh not feeling trying your hardest to focus on the fact that you could be, you know, 4K skilled and still 1.7K MMR, and eventually you'll be, eventually you'll be 4K. But if you're focusing so hard on the fact that you're 1.7K MMR and you don't deserve it, and you should be higher and your teammates suck, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, then you'll lose games because you're just not feeling too great going into those games, and then that means you deserve that MMR. Like that's part of the game, the mental aspect aspect and consistency between games is part of the game so doing whatever you can to focus on just being really really good is super effective and i say that as somebody who definitely struggles with that i I go on and off with this with this like notion where sometimes i'll just be like huge victim to like my own mentality and emotions and i will just get fucking carried away but I always feel like when I'm in a positive place, I was so fucking stupid for thinking in that particular way. In fact, there's a video that we're going to be putting out today as of recording this where I basically was – I just sat down. I was like, I've been making fucking excuses lately, and here are my excuses, and here, here's what I'm doing to solve that because, like, everybody's going to go through these, like, highs, these highs and lows mentally. And it's just really important that you're playing during the highs and that you're keeping yourself in those highs as much as you can and I think focusing on the right thing. At least that helps me a lot, and I hope that helps you too. Yeah, both Jenkins and I have been incredibly streaky players throughout the time that we've played this Dota. Is pro- this is probably why we make good partners, man. We're both we're both mentally ill in the same way. <laughs> but I mean, there would be days where like I would I'd look at Jenkins' profile and he'd be like rank one hundred or something like that, and then literally a day later I'd look at his profile, he'd be like rank four hundred and he'd lost like six hundred MMR over the course of the night. Yeah, that, that's like literally fifteen or twenty games lost in a row or something. And like that. I would have the same thing. There was actually I think maybe two years ago or something like that, there was a time where I was I believe like two or three games away from five K. Oh my god, I remember that. And then in about three or four weeks, I was actually 3.2k MMR. <laughs> <laughs> it was literally, 
And I was just like, when I finally figured it out, I was like, oh my God, I'm so dumb. And basically what had happened is I had gotten to this point where like, I started feeling like I had to just carry every single game. And so I was playing completely solo in a team game and I just continued to lose. You were the YFP man. And I continued to lose and continued to lose. And then I'd like win one game because I'd go back to like maybe buying a couple items that help my team and like showing up to a fight to help my team out, you know, making a good rotation. And I'd win and I'd be like, God, this game was so hard. These team, this, like, I had to, you know, help my team so much to win this game. And then I'd go play the next game and not do that. And these, then I'd lose again. <laughs> these days, these days, my successful days are the days where I feel really shitty and like I want to binge queue. And I go like even or minus 25 MMR for the day. Those are fucking great days for me. Like yesterday, I ended up, I ended the game minus 25. And I know that doesn't sound like a huge feat of strength, but it's the fact that I ended on a loss without continuing because I played with a bunch of griefers. I was very upset because of the griefers, and I knew the next game was going to be fucking terrible. So I... The way that I look at that is I prevented myself from losing like 100 or 200 MMR. Yeah. And eventually I will get a streak where I win 200 MMR in a day. It will happen. And until that point, all I need to do is focus on not fucking losing 100 or 200 <laughs> MMR in a day. Literally. And I will, I will eventually get back to top 100. That's the way that I see it. So I, I'm very happy about, about yesterday. And before this, before this call, uh, before this, this show... I actually lost the game, and I feel good about it because it was a pretty atrocious game. It was one of the <laughs> games where if I had kept queuing, if I was still in that queue cycle, I would be losing. It might be my fault. It might be the fault of the people on my team, but it just wasn't feeling good. I was feeling a downward spiral coming on, and I, I stopped myself. I had to for this, but I've been stopping myself uh, without any any specific thing that I have to go do in in the past you know few months and i know it sounds completely ridiculous but i'm hoping people understand because this is a very very addictive game and i know i know a lot of people are very addicted to it as well and you know i, it's, hope, I hope you guys understand it's very much like the poker players fallacy and i i used to play a lot of online poker and uh there would be the same kind of patterns that would happen in and like everybody who played which is that you know sometimes you go on a bad run of cards and like even if you're playing well you just lose and then the next time you come back to the game, you're just expecting bad stuff to happen. So you play suboptimally and then you lose more. Right, right. It's like it's like the shit that is statistically likely to happen sets you up to play worse because you're right. just looking at it the wrong way. And that same if, thing happens with teammates where like you have, I mean, you are statistically going to eventually have a bad run of teammates where you actually could get five or even 10 games where your team is just crap. Like they actually are just—they're all flamers, they're all griefers. It's not like going to happen very regularly. Like five carries, like five carries on your team. Nobody yeah. plays supports. Yeah, this is going to happen sometimes. And what really matters is what happens after that streak, because, like, you're going to have this streak, and if you can get out of that streak with only losing like the exact amount <laughs> that you should be losing, and then you continue on in an even keel, and you have like this even streak, and then you go into your next good streak because you're also statistically going to have games where you actually could basically queue up for the game pick your hero and then just sit in base and you're going to win like yes. there, are, there are a lot of yes. games that happen like that where you can actively be losing the game for your team and you're still going to win because you, your team just you know you. you know the funny thing for me personally the way that my losing streaks end is i get one of those games where i play like such dog shit yep. and don't care and my team wins for me and it's like that's the win that sets me 
that, that is just like, all right, I'm going to start winning again. Yeah. And then, I, and then I feel fine, but it's like, imagine if I just didn't lose all of those games getting to that point. Yeah. And or even if you just lost those, half of them. Right. Took those free wins when they came because statistically they will come. You know, we would all be much higher MMR, but it's all it's all easier said than done. And uh, it's easier to, to preach it than practice it, to say the least. Definitely. Um, but uh, I've been doing good lately. I, for, for, for me, it's just uh, the biggest advice that I have is like catching yourself on that first game. Because if you're on like the third or fourth game of a downward spiral, you're not going to stop. Yeah, like catching yourself before <laughs> it actually starts when you feel it coming on is the way to stop it. This sounds like such an addiction thing. <laughs> this is like we're talking about like doing narcotics or something well, like that. I mean, it is a dopamine <laughs> addiction, basically. Everybody's just addicted to like the plus 25 MMR. And That's actually, true. I there was like this uh, sports psychologist dude that I was listening to at one point. Um, and he was saying that you should like to train yourself to be mentally resilient against this, you should always quit after losing. So that, so like never play for that next win. Cause a lot of people like they'll lose one and they'll be like, well, I want to win one. So they'll play another one and then maybe they win and then they stop. It's like, you should always quit with a bad feeling basically because you get Dude, so that's a, that's a really cool idea. Actually, you get so used to being like, oh, well, okay, this is, this is where I have to stop. And then eventually you just kind of don't care because it's like the same. Dude, I'm going to try that. I'm actually going to try that. I'm going to, I'm going to try to dude. that that's so smart. Actually just training yourself to fucking deal with those shitty feelings because yeah. then dude, you're going to be so like mentally resilient in the future. Actually, if you're just, if you're just forcing yourself always to, even if it's like you could keep playing and winning, just make yourself feel those bad feelings so they don't feel as bad in the future. Like that sounds super legit. Dude, yeah. You make a video about that. That's like, a really, that's a good one. Actually. Let's say you have like a, a full Saturday off and you're like, I'm going to play Dota all day. It's going to be great. And then your first game, like you're, you know, you're playing well and then your team literally just starts flaming you and then they start feeding on purpose and then the other team's flaming you also. And it's literally just the worst experience ever and you lose the game. You just get up, and for the rest of the day, you're pissed about that game, and you just have to experience those feelings, and then eventually they go away, because they always do. Dude, that's but super fucking legit, actually. For the entire day, you just have to feel this terrible feeling from losing the game, and the next day, you're going to come back and be like, wow, that actually didn't matter very much. <laughs> David says, hi, my name is David, and I'm a Dota player. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> This is this has taken a dark turn. Yeah, <laughs> it always does. All right, let's uh, we'll move on from this subject. Yeah. Unless you know Let questions bring it back, we can talk about it. But let's see. Let's do this last one by David Richardson actually, and then okay. we'll we'll, Big D. we'll say we'll say last call for questions because we're at fifty minutes now or so. So, you know, Richard, R rich people call uh, Richard short. For, the short form for that is Dick. So it's David Dixon. Thanks. Is, is also correct. Uh, I'll be here all week. By the way. <laughs> well. well. Anyway, okay. So his qu his question was. Come on, man. How do you translate in-housing skills to ranked matchmaking? Because they feel like very different games. That's definitely true. Nailed it. I, um, I would say that when it comes to 
in housing versus ranked, there is actually a lot less of a difference than people think. And I, I think there's a big issue with like people being comfortable using mic their mic in, in ranked. Personally, that's how I feel. Yep. And I think that uh you could probably excuse me, get away with using your mic a lot more in ranked. And uh maybe some people won't listen, but a lot of a lot of people a lot of people actually will. And you can also um ping for you can like ping use ping and chat wheel to communicate as well and then uh probably my biggest piece of advice is if you want to communicate like a specific strategy or something like that as you would in uh an in-house league to your team it, you would just want to do it like, well in advance like during the draft you can just say oh i want to play this game like this i want to play with this hero or five minutes before i'll be like okay at level six can you smoke top and kill this guy line like doing it very very preemptively will make it a lot less stressful because like if you're telling some lion to smoke at level six when he gets level six that guy's gonna fucking struggle massively because he just wasn't expecting it and chances are that's not a play that he normally makes because it's just your idea and not his uh but if you do it very if you do it very preemptively the guy's not gonna like have that freak out moment where he just does a bunch of really dumb shit and then makes himself look like an idiot and then you're like oh fuck it i can't communicate with this guy just really really preempting things uh, in pubs is is going to work pretty well for you, I think. At least yep. in my experience, like going between uh, NADCL and like a uh, Face It League in pubs. That's just what I realized is that it's it's just slower in pubs. That's all, but it's still there. The communication. Yeah, it's it's almost a little bit of like a hack too, because if you preemptively say something like a couple minutes before you actually want it to happen. And a lot of the time, like it's in the person's subconscious and then they'll be like, oh, I should smoke here. And then they have the idea because you prompted them to have the idea a while ago. And so then they're like, there's none of that bullshit of like, I don't want to listen to some asshole tell me what to do in this Dota game that I'm playing because I want some control in my life. And then, Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah you I know? can speak from experience on that one. So, yeah, I think that exactly what you're saying, like. And I know that a lot of people, they the people who are active on their mic also have really shit co communication habits for the most part. There's like there's like two camps, right? You either just don't talk at all or usually talk too much. And there's like a really kind of sweet spot in the middle that is really hard for people to actually find. And it's something that I work on a lot. I, I agree. Like and, the S4 style of communication where it's like, I have this, I'm coming top. Like, this guy. that is all you need to say. That's literally all you actually have to it's, say for effective it's, communication. It's ridiculous. I was watching PPD stream the other day, and he, he, he just, like, instantly mutes people. And I'm sure at some point he's muted me. And uh, it, hit the, it hit the nail on the head, really, uh, with, with what he was saying. Like, he, he, people, somebody asked him why he muted people, and he said, like, people just, they get in a game with, like, a tier one pro, and they think the way to impress a pro is to just, like, talk a lot. And they usually over-communicate, so... Yep. He literally just fucking instantly mutes people. And he said the way to impress a pro is to just say the only just say things that need to be said. You don't need to try to be funny. You don't need to try to talk a lot and captain the game and take over. Just fucking communicate things about your hero and communicate things that are absolutely necessary and don't over communicate. And you will impress. You will impress professional like literally tier one professional players. That's what they want to see. Yeah. It's it's, ridic it's, like it's ridiculous to think. Like, yeah, you need to communicate, but if you communicate more than just, like, the very bare minimum, you're probably over-communicating. That, that's, like, the—it's it's this it's a very weird concept, because you'd think, like, oh, I, I need to know everything about everything in this game. It's better. More information is better. But it's, like, too there's much. so much— 
It's too much. Like there, there's so many people that are like, all right, well, I need you to do this. Like, like carries. Okay. So support, maybe he's going to pull carries like, okay, I need you to pull. Okay. I need you to like hit this guy. I need you to do this. I need you to do this. And yeah, I would say like, that's, it's like, dude, just relax. Like, let me, let me play my hero. You play your hero and you know, let me know when you have this skill available so we can kill them or something like that. Like a I lot think, of people, uh, sorry, I'm going to cut you off cause I want to just finish this thought. But I think a lot of people, they look at pro players and they just have this idea that, like, I think people literally think that Arteezy has memorized, like, the cooldown on all of his teammates' abilities at all times. He does not. He doesn't yeah. know that. He literally says, can we take a fight? And S4 says, RP's off cooldown in 45 seconds. Yeah. It's not Arteezy has memorized the RP cooldown exactly for S4 as hero. He literally just asks him, when can we fight? And S4 gives them the information, and it's like very, very simple communication like that that actually allows you to coordinate a very complex strategy. A good example of somebody who over communicates a lot that isn't me, because I, I think I think I, I either over communicate or under communicate because I'm just mental. But uh, BSJ is a really, really good player who will very frequently lose games because he's just completely over communicating and like taking over the game, and it makes people like. Uh, people will usually either like play like shit because they're just trying to do what he's saying or it just like it just like clutters things you know what i mean and he's yep. also very self-critical of that this is something that like I, I don't know lately on his stream but i remember like a month or two ago i was watching him and he was saying saying essentially some, something like that that like he thinks he over communicates too much and when i played with him too it was like they're they're actually this is something that happens on like every team where the captain is just like i need to stop micromanaging my team it's too yep. it's too much uh, it's it's a very frequent thing that that starts uh, that happens, and I think I think probably in North America this is a bigger problem. Uh, just I don't know, just our culture here, something, something <laughs> like that. But there's a everybody lot. Everybody wants players, to be the boss, right? Everybody wants to be the boss, to be that captain that's calling everything, and just like the fucking chess master PPD guy. But if you if you listen to the audio of PPD captaining, like, he doesn't say that much, and he's the fucking captain. You know, it's like he's just saying what is absolutely necessary. He's is like, he doing that? Hey guys, I want to go here next, and then right, people are right. like, "Okay, we'll we'll find our way to." He's that not location. like we're gonna go here because this and that, and because Magnus has no this, and the, like he's not explaining shit. It's just like let's go here, and uh, the the question of like whether or not he does that at this point, he probably does that on purpose because he knows he's a very smart dude. I think for a lot of captains and maybe even PPD, like in the past when he first got into Dota, it might just have happened that that's his communication style and that's why they're such such good captains. It might not even be a, a well thought out like, oh, we need to keep our communication succinct. It might just be because that's how they communicate and that just makes them a very, very good captain, you know? At this point, probably. They they all know. Like, Puppy knows how to captain because he's done it for so long. But Dude, that's the thing. Look at the, look at the people that are the successful captains. Kuroki. Pretty quiet dude. PPD, fairly calm dude. Like, puppy. You know, memes aside, fairly calm dude. Yes, yes. Most most of these really successful captains tend to be kind of like the soft spoken. And I know that sounds weird to be said about PPD, but like if you listen to him in his interviews, he's just like very relaxed and and you know, it's just like yeah, all all of them. They, yeah. they all are. Uh, John Callahan junior it's not really a junior it's your dad senior but in any in any case uh 
he says, we have an overly explicit versus implicit culture in North America. We feel there's always information that is not understood. If someone isn't asking questions, we don't assume they know enough. We assume they aren't asking questions because they are confused. I definitely mm -hmm. think that's accurate. Yeah. Yeah, that's I definitely funny. see that a lot, you know. Like, that's one of my biggest things. I actually should just do the PPD method. It's, start, it's something that I started to do is just mute people that are talking too much. Like, I know they're trying to be helpful, but at some point, it's eventually just going to piss me off because it's like, dude, I know what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Can you just, yeah, just yeah, relax? I, <laughs> like, I've, been, I've been doing that recently, too. It's great to watch these very successful pros because you can see the little things that they do that actually make them very, very successful that maybe they don't even realize how yeah. important it is. Like, I don't think PPD is muting people because he cares about pubs and wants to win them. He's muting people because he actually doesn't want to fucking hear them. But as a result, he's not getting tilted because yeah. he's muting the people that would be bothering him. Yep. So it's it's just like super game winning. And that's why he's high MMR. That's why he's so good. He does a lot of these things that are just great to be a successful Dota player. Yep. All right, guys. Uh, I think we're going to wrap it up there. We've been streaming for about an hour. And... Um... Got some really, really good questions. I'm excited to put this one on YouTube. I think people are going to like it a lot. Cool, yeah. And uh, thank you, as always, for tuning in. Thank you for supporting us via Patreon. And we uh, we changed a couple things around recently. Uh, we've added another tier where you can be on our friends list and watch us play and ask us questions via Steam. And um, we also changed around one of the other tiers. I think that the $12 tier to where we're gonna do a basically a replay review stream like this, but it'll be reviewing people's we're games. We're gonna do actual replays, yeah. We'll just sit down for a night and just go for a shitload of replays, basically. Yeah. So as always, thanks for thanks for supporting Dota Alchemy, and uh, we'll see you next time. Thanks, guys.